Been talking about words for about four weeks now. This is the fourth message in the series. Right before we get into uh, word power, I'd like to ask every man and woman who has ever served, you're not currently serving, but you've ever served in the past in any branch of the military, would you just stand to your feet? Would you please stand right now? Can we thank these people for what they've done for us as we celebrate Veterans Day? God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Now I'd like for all those who are currently serving in any branch of the military, would you please stand and let us see you. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you guys and gals. Thank you so much. God bless you. We're able to be here this morning and sing the songs we sing, preach the sermons we preach because these men and women stood on the wall. Amen. I get emotional about that. Stop it, Farrell, stop it. Thank you, thank you. James is a pastor. James is a pastor. His book is toward the back of your Bible, just a few books before the book of Revelation. You can turn there and follow along with us if you want to. The sermon scriptures will also be on the wall, on the screen. And um, we're gonna look at what he has to say about a very important topic. The Holy Spirit moves on this pastor and inspires him to write to his church. Therefore, he is writing to Christians about the power of our words, the power of our tongue, the power of our speech, the power of the things we say. James gives us in his five chapters, and especially in chapter three, five compelling reasons why we need to make sure that our tongue is under the control of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll tell you about James if you haven't already recognized it, or maybe you're here for the first time and you haven't been hearing the other messages. James um, is not politically correct, okay? <laughs> he puts it out there, and he's going to put it out there today. So uh, if I say something that sounds a little strong to you, um, just dial up heaven, ask for James, and talk to him about it. I'm just going to tell you what he said, all right? Uh, let me give you the first three compelling reasons um, before we get into the one we're going to talk about today. In our first message, we learned that we must allow the Holy Spirit to control our tongue because our words have the power to condemn us. Secondly, we learned that they have the power to control us. And then in the last message that I preached, we learned that uh, our words have the power to corrupt us. Our words can be very, very dangerous. Today, what we're going to learn is we're going to look at a little different slant today, and we're going to say it this way. We must allow the Holy Spirit of God to control our tongue, to control our words, to control our speech, because the tongue works very hard to combat resist any kind of spirit control, any kind of Holy Spirit control, no matter where you are spiritually, whether you're a new Christian, whether you are a weak Christian, or whether you are a strong Christian, we can never, never ignore the power of our tongue to break out of its cage and say things that hurt and destroy so that's what we're going to look at tonight. Now, 
or today. I preached at the bridge last night, so I'm still nighttime. Um, but um, we want to look at that. Hey, guys, did y'all go to, anybody go to Chick-fil-A and see the mime team uh, this week? Man, I tell you. I mean, Chick-fil-A, we ought to really give it up for them. They um, opened up their parking lot and let our mime team go out there and minister and uh, um, just really appreciate that. Anybody have pancakes uh, Saturday morning? Anybody go out to Applebee's and have some breakfast? Good, good. Our Kentucky mission team is building their finances to do uh, their work for the Lord. Thank you guys for supporting us, supporting what we're doing. As we do more, let me just say this before we get into the message. As we do more to be Jesus, that's our vision here at Whitley. We got enough people talking about Jesus, and we're going to keep talking about Jesus and teaching about Jesus and preaching about Jesus, but what we got to do is go out there and be Jesus. Amen, amen? And that's what taking those coats to the soup kitchen, that's putting our money where our mouth is. Amen? I'm not going to preach on that, but I could. I'll tell you, I could. Have you ever noticed the tongue and how it will fight against any kind of control? I mean, have you ever been in a group that was kind of talking about a, a gossipy topic and you had something really juicy? And they didn't have it. And your tongue is back there behind those ivory bars in that cage going, let me out. Let me out. I want to tell them. I mean, the tongue doesn't want to be controlled. It fights against control. As a matter of fact, not only does it not want to be controlled, and not only does it fight against control, listen to me, your tongue wants to control. It wants to be in control. Therefore, it must be controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's read in James 3, 7, and 8. As I read this, you're going to think we're at the zoo because James is going to talk about animals today. He says, for every species of beast, every species of birds, every species of serpents, and every species of things in the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. And then he describes the tongue. He says it is a restless evil. Wow. Then he says, it is full of deadly poison. Well, that's straight up preaching right there, isn't it? That's, hey, listen, you say, well, oh, whose tongue was he talking about? Yours, mine, ours, our tongue. James is saying that the tongue apart from God is untamable. He's saying to us that the tongue is even more dangerous than the wildest animal. He says to us here that the tongue is uncivilized, that the tongue is undisciplined. He says to us, and he wants us to get it, and he wants us to hold on to it, and remember this, he is talking to his church, he is talking to Christians, and he is saying to Christians, the tongue is humanly untamable, and that is why, as we talked about last week, it is so dangerous. He's saying that Christians, even the tongue of the believer, even the saved tongue, to use some Christianese there, and even the redeemed tongue, even the tongue that 
Ask Jesus to forgive of sin and come into your heart on the day you were born into the family of God. That same tongue, even the tongue of a Christian, listen, 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 must be guarded at all times. Even Christians must guard their tongue at all times. So, if that's true about Christians, think about the tongue of someone who doesn't know Christ. It is all the more dangerous. Now, in James 3, 7 through 8, he uses the illustration of animals, and he reminds us that God gave man power over animals. And you can go, if you're taking notes, jot this down. Genesis 1, 27 is the verse that says that God gave man dominion over the animals. Now, verse 1, uh, chapter 1, rather, verse 27, is before the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. But even after the fall, after Adam and Eve messed up, God still gave control to man of the animals. Because you know the story of how Noah lined them up how? Two by two and brought them up on the ark. Have you ever thought about that he had the opportunity right then to kill those last two mosquitoes? I mean, he could have done it right there. Wouldn't that have been awesome? I mean, it must not have been God's will. Just, you know, and that would have been the last two house flies. I mean, I'm just saying. Just a thought. So man has dominion over the animal kingdom. Man has dominion. We've seen... uh, uh, if you haven't been, you, you've seen it on TV, how, how a man can tame a lion and get the lion to open his mouth and he sticks his head in there. And You've seen uh, these whales in the big pools at SeaWorld and uh, you've seen how the men ride them. And I saw something, I won't stay on this very long because it creeps me out, but I saw a man in a glass box one time with snakes all over him. None of them bit him. You know, there are only two kinds of snakes I'm afraid of, dead ones and live ones. Amen. I will scream and dance like a woman (laughs) if there's a snake anywhere around. I'm all John Wayne till I see a snake. (laughs) Amen. And then I'm Richard Simmons. Okay. Um, I'm just saying. So James says... In chapter 3, some of y'all aren't going to get any more of the sermon, are you? That's it. That's it. You're, you're gone. But he mentions all the species of all the animals. He talks about the, the walking animals, the beast. He talks about the flying animals, the birds. He talks about the crawling animals, the serpents. He talks about the swimming animals, those who are in the sea. The word beast, the original Greek language there, I'll impress you with my Greek knowledge, is therion, and it is never used of domesticated animals. So what James is talking about here is that man has been given dominion over the wildest animals, the strongest, the most powerful. So here's James' point. James' point is that man can tame every animal, but no human being apart from surrender to the power of God in their life can control their tongue. And then he reminds us, as I've already said, even believers have to guard all the time what wants to get out. 
I think it's important to note that he doesn't say the tongue cannot be tamed. What he says is we can't tame it. We got to have help. And not only do we have, ha- have to have help to tame our tongue, we need supernatural help. We need God help. Remember the very first sermon I preached to you? Say yes, you remember that first sermon. God bless you, thank you. He says, uh, we learned in that very first sermon that the very first sin was the sin of the tongue. You remember when Adam and Eve sinned by eating the forbidden fruit. God came down and I'll give you the Pharaoh Hardison version. Adam, what's up with that? And Adam looks at God and goes, it isn't my fault, it's your fault. The woman, if you, got, if you ladies want to elbow your man right now, you can, as he blamed his wife for his sin. Actually, he didn't blame his wife, he blamed God for giving him somebody who would lead him into sin. What a weak loser, la loser. A bozo right then, amen, ladies? He said, the woman you gave me made me sin. So the first sin, I want you to notice this, and and maybe this has no significance to you, but I just thought it was really cool that the very first sin in the Bible was a sin of the tongue. Then in Acts chapter two, that chapter that many of us want to white out of our Bible and get some scissors and cut it out, where the Holy Spirit came down in the upper room on the 120, it was the tongue that on the birthday of the church, it was the tongue. The Bible says as the 120 were in there, they'd been in there 10 days seeking the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. And the Bible says cloven what? Tongues as a fire came down and sat upon each of them. And they began to speak the heavenly language and declare the glorious works of God. I don't know about you, but I think it's significant that the very first sin man ever created or man ever committed was the sin of the tongue. And then on the day of Pentecost, the thing that God focused on that day was the control of the tongue. The control of it. But here James tells us, that man's inability to control his wild, savage tongue is because, and guys, if you'll put that verse back up there on the screen, it is a restless evil. Look right at the bottom of the screen there. He describes the tongue as a restless evil. What does that mean? He is saying that the tongue is always ready to break out. He's saying to us that the tongue fights against restraint that the tongue doesn't want to be held back. Now, this is Farrell Hardison, and this is my opinion, but you know what I think I've noticed Satan does in relation to my life? I think what he does is sometimes he'll just kind of back off so you'll get a false confidence that you've got this whole thing in control. That you think, you know, man, I used to really have a problem in that area, and I used to have to really guard myself when what I say, but I, I'm doing really good. I've been doing really good, and I think sometimes the enemy will actually back off and let you build up sort of a pride about how good you're doing spiritually. And then one day, that bad boy will break out of that ivory jail, and you will say this, I can't believe. I said that. 
Who has said that statement before? When you're a pastor, it's bad to say that. Especially when you're in front of about 500 people. I've said some things up here that when I got home, my wife said, are you crazy? And I'm like, yes. Um, it's a restless evil. It's back there, and sometimes it'll, it'll just lay low, so you'll think you don't have to guard, and all of a sudden you've cracked the door a little bit, and you're just, you think everything that comes out of your mouth sounds like Solomon the wise man. And all of a sudden, one day, something will come out of there, and you go, where in the world did that come from? And all of a sudden, you're apologizing, and you're weeping with people, and you're saying, I don't know where that came from, and, and, and it doesn't want to be held back. Listen, the tongue is a combatant against the control of the Holy Spirit. The word restless in James 3.8 and the word unstable, where it talks about a, a, an unstable man, it's the same Greek word. The tongue is unstable. Here's what I mean by that. Cannot be predicted. It cannot be predicted. Don't ever think you're going to get to a place in your walk with God that you don't have to guard that bad boy all the time. Amen, amen? Y'all with me out there? And then look what he says about it. He says, not only is it a restless evil, but it's full of deadly poison. <laughs> Makes you want to have surgery and have that thing removed, doesn't it? I'm telling you. One writer said that the tongue is not only like a caged animal that is roaring and scratching to get out, not only is it like a monster of inconsistency. I thought that was a very descriptive way of talking about the tongue, a monster of inconsistency waiting to break out of its restraint. But now James adds that the tongue, when it does break out, when it does break out, that it doesn't just break out in a neutral fashion, but it's filled with deadly poison. It's like a snake's tongue. Romans 3 and 13 says, the poison of a snake is under their what? Lips. Psalm 140 and verse 3 says, they have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adders, that's a poisonous snake, adders poison is under their lips. One writer said, the tongue is an assassin. What does an assassin do? He hides to shoot. He hides. We'll look at that a little closer in just a moment. Let me just give you some biblical illustrations very quickly. Now, I would encourage you, if I'm going to give you a few scripture references in here. If you want to study these further on your own, I'm just going to touch on the highlights. There is a story in your Bible in 2 Samuel chapter 10 that you might not be familiar with. Maybe you've read it if you've read the Bible through. I met a girl at the bridge last night that set a um, pace for herself to read the Bible through in 90 days, and she did it. Wow. And then she had to ask the ultimate question, Pastor, have you ever done that? And I changed the subject. <laughs> Second Samuel chapter 10, we have the Ammonite king Nahash. Nahash had died and he had been a friend to David, and he had been a friend to the nation of Israel. And so David 
wanted to send some representatives to his son Haman. Nahash, follow me, the king of the Ammonites, had died, and now his son Hanan was going to step into the role of being the new king. So David says, I want to send a message to Hanan to say that I would love to have the same relationship with you that I had with your dad. And I would also like to say to him that he has our sympathies, and if there's anything we can do for him in the death of his father, we will, because his father was very kind to me, and his father was very kind to Israel. So the Bible says that when David's ambassadors, when David's representatives arrived to tell Hanan this message, that Hanan's princes, his leaders, his, um, his hierarchy, his executive board, if you will, that served under his dad, now serving under him, came to him and said, do you think David is here to congratulate you on your promotion and to offer his sympathies for your dad? Do you think he's really here to tell you that he wants a good relationship with us the way he had with your father? No. Let us tell you why David's here. David is here to size us up. David has sent these men here to look at our army, to look at our strength and to size us up. David's going to come in here and take our nation away from us. He is going to come in and war against us and, and, and just take over. And he's going to dethrone you and probably kill you. And the tongue, the tongue, the tongue. Poison, poison, poison. Lies, lies, lies. So Hanan, not having any experience, not having the wisdom of his father, Believe these lies, and I won't go into all the details, but at the end of this chapter, over 40,000 men had died because of the tongue, the lies of the tongue. Let's go to the book of Esther. Anybody been studying Esther lately? Esther's a great book of the Bible. You need to study it. We read about Haman and how his poisonous tongue began to work. He was used as a a satanic tool to bring about the extermination of the Jews by the Medo-Persians. And God saved them through a man named Mordecai and a woman named Esther. And Haman, who almost pulled off a plot to exterminate the Jews, ends up being hung on the same gallows that he created for the Jews. And I'm going to show you in just a minute, if I have time, how that God promises that you can put out all the bitter words you want to put out with your mouth, but in the end, he will turn your words on you. Does that make a cold chill kind of go up your spine? Be careful what you say. I heard an old preacher I used to love to listen to. He's dead and gone now, but he had a sermon titled, The Horrible Hanging of Hateful Haman. Read that story in your Bible. And then the book of Jeremiah, we read how savage-tongued men lied to King Zedekiah. And King Zedekiah threw the great prophet of God, Jeremiah, into a prison. And the Bible describes it this way. It says he sunk into the muck of that prison. And then we read the restless. We read of these restless, wagging, poisonous lips of the Jewish leaders who accused John the Baptist, the great prophet, John the Baptist of having a demon. 
And these same Jewish leaders accused our spotless Jesus, the spotless Son of God, of being a glutton and a drunkard. And then they accused him of something he probably was guilty of. They said he's a friend of the outcast. Amen, amen, amen. I want to be counted as a friend of the outcast. Anybody out there with me? Amen, come on, church. I want Whitley Church to be a friend of sinners. I want us to be a friend of those who don't yet know Jesus. I want lost people to be able to walk in here and say, you know, I haven't accepted their message yet, and I haven't accepted their God yet, but they sure do act like I belong with them, and they act like they love me. Come on, amen, amen. Let's give God a hand on that. God, make us that kind of church. Make us that kind of church. I don't want a kind of church where if you're not in a certain family, don't make a certain amount of money, don't look a certain way, have a certain skin color, wear a certain kind of clothes. You can't come to that church. That's not this church. Amen, amen. amen. You say, well, I like churches like that. Well, I can point you to a thousand of them. We ain't one. Get you some of that. Sorry, didn't mean to do that. I think I just did. They said Jesus was uh, Beelzebub. You know who Beelzebub was? Satan himself. They claimed Jesus was Satan. The, the poisonous tongues, the wagging, restless, evil, poisonous lips of the Jewish leaders led to the murder of John the Baptist and our sweet Lord Jesus was hung on a cross because of the tongue, the mouth, the lips. Fiery-tongued haters of the gospel secretly induce men to lie against Stephen. I know I need to quit preaching, but it's good to me today. Listen, listen. I want you teenagers to listen to me. If you got any teenagers here today, give me a woot woot. Hey, you know, they got to be cool with their woots. They can't just go crazy. You teenagers, listen to me. Stephen, most Bible scholars believe Stephen was somewhere between 16 and 18 years old. Uh, maybe, maybe even 20 years old, but about 18 years old. And when he got through preaching in Acts chapter 6, the Bible says the people he was preaching to were so mad they were grinding their teeth. I think I've heard some teeth grinding a time or two in my life. The Bible says they stirred up people with their words. They started stoning this teenage preacher. And while bones shattered, blood spattered, he began to speak. If you'll permit my imagination, I think it went something like this as they were throwing those stones against his body and his head. All of a sudden, he began to say something and I can see them go, stop, stop, stop. He's going to speak. He's going to deny his Jesus. He's going to deny the word of God. He's going to deny all these things he's just said. Listen, listen, listen. Now that he's under the heat, now that he's being stoned, he's going to deny Jesus. But see, they didn't know that what God had actually done was give him a vision of heaven. And as they leaned in to hear his words, he said, I see Jesus. Now, every place in the Bible I ever read about Jesus, he's sitting at the Father's right hand. But he said, I see Jesus standing. I think it's almost like Jesus looked down from heaven and saw a teenager who wouldn't compromise. 
saw a teenager who would not compromise, who stood. And so Jesus stood in honor of that young man because he said, I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand as if Jesus was saying, come home. Come home, my son. Paul one time was being accused of all kinds of atrocities. They had paid all these witnesses to speak against him. And I can see Paul sitting there in the courtroom. I don't know what courtrooms looked like back then, but he was sitting there. He was the defendant. And all these people he had never seen before, never talked to before, who didn't know anything about him were getting up one after another, just telling all kind of lies on him and what an awful, horrible man he was. And when they got through, they said, all right, after hours of testimony against you, do you have anything you'd like to say? I don't know what you would have said, but I think I would have got up there and said, man, these are lies. This isn't true. Paul knew that no matter what he said, they weren't going to believe his claims that these people were lying, so he just decided he'd preach. So he turned the witness stand into a pulpit, and he said, I was on a road to Damascus, and I had no hope in Jesus. He came to me. And when he got through that day, after all those tongues had wagged against him, when he got through speaking that day, the judge said, you've almost persuaded me to be a Christian. How many of you know almost isn't good enough, though? Only good in horseshoes and hand grenades, not in salvation. So we go to Psalm 64 and we find David there talking about those who were against him. And I want to walk through this chapter very quickly in closing. Listen very quickly. David is, this is another David's prayers. He's praying for judgment on the enemies of of righteousness. Did you know you can pray for that? David prays for protection from those who are conspiring against him. Anybody conspiring against you? He describes their malicious plans against the righteousness of God and he's convinced God's gonna turn things around. Look at this prayer. This is a prayer. When when you feel under attack by gossip, when you feel under attack by lies, go to Psalm 64 and read this. Look what David says. Oh God, listen to my complaint. Do not let my enemy's threats overwhelm me. Protect me. From the plots of the wicked, for the scheming of those who do evil. From the scheming of those who do evil. Look at verse 3. Sharp tongues are the swords they wield. Bitter words are the arrows they aim. They shoot from ambush. That means they never come out in the middle of the road and fight you. They always hide because they're cowards. They shoot from ambush at the what? At what kind of people? Innocent people. Attacking suddenly and fearlessly. The word fearlessly denotes no respect for God, no respect for the situation, no fear of God. They encourage each other to do evil. Have you ever noticed how the devil's crowd always fights against each other unless they're going against a man or woman of God and then they all come together, create an alliance? He said they encourage each other to do evil and plan or strategize how to set their traps. And then the pride enters in. Look at the pride here. Who will ever notice, they ask. 
as they plot their crimes, they say, we have devised the perfect plan. Listen to the evil, listen to the pride. And then David says, yes. Oh, let this ring a bell with us, boys and girls. The human heart and mind, apart from God, are cunning. But God. Everybody say, but God. Let's say it real loud. But God. Everybody say it again. But God. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're going through. You might be sick. But God. You might be under the attack of the enemy. But God. Your children might not be living right. But God. But God. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know where you're suffering. I don't know what's happening. But I want everybody right now to say, but God. Come on. But God. There is a God in heaven. You say, Pastor, I feel so hopeless this morning. He sees you. He has his eyes on you. He loves you. Yes, he may back off and leave you in a dark place for a while, but he's standing somewhere in the shadows. But God. Look what's going to happen to people who use their tongue in the wrong way, but God himself will shoot them down. Suddenly, his arrows. Hey, God's got some arrows. Amen, amen. amen. They're kind of like a howitzer. All these little people throwing their darts to gossip. God's got a. <laughs> amen. That's drama right there. I gave y'all some drama. But God himself will shoot them down. Suddenly his arrows will pierce them. You better watch out how you're going to use your mouth because God's going to turn it on you. Their own words will be turned against them. Doing what? Destroying them. All who see it happening will shake their heads in scorn. Then everyone will stand in awe, proclaiming the mighty acts of God, realizing all the amazing things he does. The godly will rejoice in the Lord and find what? Some of y'all need a shelter. Some of you guys have run to Dr. Phil for shelter. You've run to some self-help book for shelter. You run to human beings for shelter. You run to counselors for shelter. You run all over everywhere trying to find shelter. He's the shelter. He's the shelter. He's the cleft in the rock. When the storm is raging and the enemy is pouncing on you, he is that hiding place. He is the shelter. This is good preaching. The godly will rejoice in the Lord and find shelter in him. And those who do what is right will use their tongue. Will use their tongue to what? Let's all stand. The Lord, I have declared the word of God today. Let every man and woman here decide, what am I going to do with the word of God I've received today? Am I going to go out and am I going to forget it? Am I going to be like James said when he said we are like men looking in a mirror for just a moment and then walking away forgetting what we have seen? Or will we walk away from this service today reflecting on the truth of your word? Men and women, boys and girls who do not know you, it's my prayer this morning they will turn to you and say, Jesus, I need you. I've been running.
I've been offering up flimsy excuses. I need you, Jesus. I have no power in myself. I have no strength in myself. I need you, Jesus. God, may we as Christians guard our mouth. Help us guard our mouth in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Visitors and guests, pick up your gift. Don't forget to sign up for the different things. Hey, listen, guys, I'm going to hang around up here at the front. If you'd like prayer or you have any questions, I'll be glad to hang around and speak with you after the service.